linguistic Greetings from Cyberdelic Space. This is Lorenzo, and I'm your host here in the Psychedelic Salon. Well, surprise, surprise, here we are back together again, and uh, it's been less than a week since my last podcast, so I'm obviously feeling a little better. In fact, I'm going to uh, try to get two programs out this week in an attempt to uh, catch up for a little uh, for the weeks that I missed during the holidays and my bouts with the flu. To begin with, I want to thank Gerard S. for his generous donation to the salon. Thanks for that, Gerard. I deeply appreciate you taking the time to send a donation to the salon, and I'm sure that uh, all of our fellow saloners join me in thanking you. And I also want to mention uh, a gift that I learned about during the holidays but have completely forgotten to mention until now. Our friend Aja West, whose music you've heard in the salon a while back, uh, helped pay for a goat to be provided to a third world family where it'll make a big difference in their lives. And he and his friends made that donation in the name of all of us here in the salon. Now, while it may seem like a strange gift to us Westerners, I'm sure that in the village where what I think of as our goat, <laughs> where our goat now lives, uh, I'm sure they think it was a perfect gift. So thanks a lot, Aja, and I apologize for being so tardy in thanking you. And that also goes out uh, to a couple of other donors who I may not have mentioned here in the podcast. Uh, I hope I've not missed thanking any of our wonderful donors, but uh, sometimes I'm not the most well-organized person, and uh, things slip through the cracks here in the salon. If I missed uh, thanking one or more of you, uh, please let me know via an email to uh, Lorenzo at MatrixMasters.com, and I'll try to make it up to you. Hopefully, uh, nobody is in that situation, but uh, just in case, I want to be sure to not overlook your generous deed. As promised, uh, today I'm going to play another talk from the Timothy Leary Archive. But uh, for our fellow saloners who have been asking for talks uh, given by Dr. Leary that co cover uh, some of the more esoteric topics that he spoke about in the last decade or so of his life, I'm going to go back to... Uh, 1966 in an attempt to uh, give you a little flavor of the history of our psychedelic community. For me, uh, 1966 was the year that I uh, entered the U.S. military and uh, eventually uh, led me to service with the Navy in Vietnam. So it was definitely a pivotal year for me, but uh, from what I know about our fellow saloners, my guess is that uh, about three quarters of you weren't even born yet. And uh, so I feel it's important to pass along a little of the flavor of the early days of the psychedelic movement, just to give you a small idea of how far we've come. The tape I'm going to play uh, for you today is from a radio interview that Dr. Leary gave sometime in 1966. And while it may not contain as many aha moments as a Terrence McKenna or Eric Davis talk, I think it's important to hear the hatred and abuse that Dr. Leary had to put up with in order to kickstart the uh, psychedelic revolution, which is uh, only now, at long last, getting fully underway. As you'll hear, he had to put up with being mocked and abused, and not just by the people in the audience, but even by the host of the program. The host's name is uh, Alan Burke, and according to Wikipedia, he was a conservative talk show host who was on the air primarily in New York from 1966 to 69. 
And according to this article, he was a pioneer of the confrontational style where he would attack or insult his guests and even plant ringers in the audience who had then attacked the guest. Burke's uh, best-known caller was known only as Raymond, a presumed uh, burnout who spouted comically clever poetry, uh, often espousing the virtues of his hero, the host Alan Burke. And while Raymond doesn't make an appearance in this program, uh, there is a Christian minister who shows up after about 10 minutes, and uh, <laughs> he's a real hoot. And by that, I mean he's, uh, he's funny, but uh, only if you can see how seriously twisted his mind is, particularly when he claims that uh, we now have control over the environment. And then he goes on to say that he doesn't approve of LSD because it's a pleasurable tension reliever. Hmm, I wonder how he feels about Xanax or Valium or just plain relaxing for that matter. My guess is, is that if it feels good, he thinks it's a sin. And then uh, there's a little old lady who claimed to have had one acid trip herself, a bad one I might add, that uh, not only caused her to denounce LSD, but to also become an instant expert on it as well. Now the reason I think it's important for you to hear this decades-old talk is that without having a handle on the recent history of the psychedelic movement in our culture, it's really difficult to grasp how far we've come, even though at times it may seem as if we're still in the dark ages when it comes to discussing these sacred medicines. As I just mentioned, uh, this radio interview took place sometime in 1966, and it sounds like there was a brief gap in the beginning of this recording, uh, just as Burke was asking the first question of Dr. Leary. But other than that, it, uh, it sounds like the rest of the program was faithfully recorded. Uh, the only thing I've cut out was the commercials. So uh, let's fire up our time machines and set the dial to 1966, just when the anti-Vietnam War and civil rights movements were beginning to gain a little traction on the American consciousness. And it was also a time when any talk about LSD uh, almost paralyzed uh, most of our parents with fear. Now, I know that you're very interested in the mail, and of the 14,343 letters that came in this week, I simply grabbed a handful off the top. Uh, this one is from Gloria Santaniello of Brooklyn. She says, Dear Mr. Burke, you are magnificent. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Here is one from, uh, from whom? Mrs. Berg of the Bronx, Psychedelic Drugs. Am I correct, Dr. Leary? I think that's a fair statement, Alan. Why are you a champion for the use of psychedelics? Uh, psychedelic drugs are to the human mind today what the discovery of the microscope was to medicine and biological science uh, three or four hundred years ago. Psychedelic drugs expand and speed up consciousness. They're going to bring about a tremendous change in our society, in our view of man, and in our way of life in the future. Well, I'll agree it'll bring about a change in our view of man. That is, if you take it, it'll bring a different view to you. How many trips have you taken? Is it correct to say trips? I've never taken one of these things, but I've heard it referred to as trips. Is that correct? Well, the word trip comes from the younger generation, uh, and like any folk statement, it has a great deal of meaning. Mm -hmm. uh, when you take LSD, you do go on a trip. It's a voyage. It's the most ancient voyage that man has ever known, the one beyond your mind, 
and your current tribal situation uh, into the uh, incredible possibilities which lie inside. So it's a fair statement to say an LSD voyage is a trip. Mm -hmm. Now, before those here in the studio audience come forward to ask you questions, and I'm sure there are thousands of them sitting out there who want to do just that, there's something I want you to do for all of us. I want you to give me a word picture, a description of what happens to Timothy Leary when he takes LSD. Where do you go? What do you see? Will you do that for us? Uh, I will try to respond to your question. All I can't right. possibly do it. Every minute of an LSD session is different from any other session. Every time you take LSD, and I've taken LSD over 315 times, You've, uh, it's different. You're quite a traveler, aren't you? To me, <laughs> yes. Uh, you, you see, people say, why do you take LSD? And I say, well, why does the, micro why does the scientist look through the microscope? I don't know that uh, that's a good analogy, uh, why does Dr. The Larry. Why go to church? No, I take well, LSD May because I? It's, uh, Let me interrupt you, uh, because this is the second time you've made this uh, analogy. You compare it to looking through a microscope. Mm -hmm. uh, is it really the same? Is this a fair analogy? Uh, one looks through a microscope to see something that is small and enlarge it. Nothing artificial is used with the object on the slide to make that in itself expand. You are looking through a glass. This magnifies it. Now, LSD does something, and you say it expands the consciousness, is that it? So there is an enlargement. You are not using a glass uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, if you gave LSD to the object, to the microbe, as it were, on the slide, then it would be a fair comparison. Well, one often gets uh, entangled in one's metaphors, and um, uh, LSD is different from the microscope, but it's the best metaphor. Here are people who have never had this experience, and how can I explain to someone who's never had the experience what it's like? 400 years ago, if I were to come before an audience like this and say, do you know that around us here there's another level of reality which is invisible which you can't possibly see with the naked eye but with an artificial aid or with just a changing of the focus of energy you can see there's a lawfulness a beauty and eventually a meaning uh, to this microscopic world you might at the beginning think uh, i was insane but if i could persuade you to look through the lens then you say well you're right now what do we do about it that's the same metaphor uh, metaphorical situation uh, in regard to lsd but let me go back to your question alan let me try to describe what happens when you take lsd i've already said that that each minute of every LSD session is different from any other minute. There are certain things that are characteristic of LSD sessions. One is a tremendous acceleration of consciousness. Now, we usually think in a very slow uh, way. We think in English language, most of us. Subject, predicate, object. The dog chased the cat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, your brain, which is made up of 13 billion cells, is equipped to deal with much more material. Uh, your brain receives about 1,000 million signals a second. And uh, once you go beyond your mind, you're open to these uh, thousands and thousands of uh, messages which are whirling around inside your nervous system uh, at each moment. There's a tremendous intensification of the senses. Uh, your eyes become like uh, microscopic cameras. So a person will look for a long time just at a, a flower or he'll look at a raindrop on the window. 
uh, everyone, almost everyone who's taken LSD or similar drugs reports the uh, intensification of vision. The world is alive. For the first time, instead of seeing just tired objects uh, like pieces of paper and microfo microphones, I'm seeing energy, which is hurtling into the retina of my eye. Tremendous intensification of uh, hearing, of the sense of touch. Now, for many people, this is too much. Uh, most of us are satisfied with a rather dull and gray and static world we see around us of red lights and green lights and green dollar bills and so forth. Uh, many people, when all of this inundation of light occurs, say, no, turn it off, turn it off. But you can't turn it off because when you take LSD for eight hours, for about eight hours, you've got these microscopes, you've got these cameras, you've got this illumination coming, and that's where the fear and the terror comes when the unprepared person um, takes this experience. The Apostle Paul, Jesus, Mohammed, Dante, Walt Whitman have all written accounts of their infinite variety of senses, this illumination that you speak of. And they did it without any artificial means. And it has happened to many others, in addition to the few I mentioned. Why this sudden need for LSD or any other psychedelic or artificial means to increase awareness? That's a good question. I think uh, I should uh, attempt to answer as well as I can. Every uh, historical era develops its own religious method. Uh, in an agricultural or pastoral society, the religious rituals and metaphors were uh, pastoral. Uh, we now live in a chemical age. Everyone who's listening or watching this program is completely dependent on chemicals. You got here with uh, petroleum in your car. Your clothes are made of chemicals. The food you eat uh, comes from uh, uh, chemical agriculture. Does it come as any surprise that we're going to use chemicals to do what we all want, and which is the most important thing, that is to accelerate our consciousness and deepen our understanding? A chemical age is going to have a chemical sacrament. Uh, Dr. Leary, no, you said, yeah. if I may... You said, uh, I think you said, increase our understanding mm -hmm. through expanding our consciousness. Mm -hmm. Is that? Yes. Don't you think we can arrive at a better understanding without this expansion of consciousness? Absolutely not. Why not? Because every adult is trapped in his mind. You can't get beyond your mind. You're trapped by the concepts that you learned in school. And every great breakthrough in religion and science has always involved a new method of bringing into consciousness what uh, you couldn't see before. The telescope, the microscope. And you remember uh, the fellow that developed the uh, telescope uh, back in Florence a few hundred years ago got in the same sort of trouble with society that we're in today. Uh, any new uh, instrument which opens up consciousness threatens the establishment. Let me ask you this, If Dr. I were to Larry. have given uh, the telescope to uh, youngsters in uh, Florence about um, uh, 500 years ago, uh, they'd come home to their parents and say, do you know uh, the world isn't flat and that the world uh, goes around the sun? And they'd say, why, my child, what is this heresy they're teaching you at school? Lock that professor up. It's always the same All thing. All right. New instrument. Well, let uh, me ask you this, Dr. Larry. Did the presentation to the world of the telescope cause anyone to lose his ego factors? Did it cause anyone to end up in a mental institution? Did it cause anyone at all to lose touch with reality? 
Well, I can't accept any of these uh, generalizations that are implied. Well, I can accept them because LSD does those things no, and it not. has done no, these. Doesn't. There are cases of people who uh, have uh, taken LSD and are presently institutionalized because of that. Now, you may say, well, they were psychotic before they took it. Well, maybe they were. But this pushed them over that one line that know? separated them. How do you know? Because you said so. I said so. Yes, I have some of your writings that go back a few years. You well, said I've so. said that LSD, like the microscope, doesn't show you anything that's not there. And if a person is uh, extremely disturbed uh, and he takes LSD, he's going to see his own disturbance. But the chances are that in most cases, he will see his disturbance in a broader context and indeed will be much better. I think the uh, thing the that I... The statistics on the number of casualties caused by LSD are astoundingly small. When you think that in the United States every year, 1,000 college students kill themselves and 9,000 try just from going to college. And in the history of 15 or 20 years of LSD uh, use, and we're told 3 or 4 million people using LSD, there have been three or four recorded cases of suicide. I would say that LSD is preventing uh, the Dr. expected Leary, rate of suicide. I find you extremely clever with words, extremely clever. And I, I have a great deal of admiration for your being able to juggle words in that fashion. Here you These are not words. These are... Yes, they are words, Dr. Leary. Here you've compared LSD to the microscope, which has been beneficial to mankind because of the scientific developments. You've compared it to uh, the telescope. Uh, now you say it's a preventive measure for suicide. You've compared uh, LSD favorably and uh, college as unfavorable. In effect, you're saying LSD is better than a college education. Uh, no, no, or some no, no, people no. could well, be I, misled uh, to uh, believe that, and I, I think this is a very clever juggling. And uh, well, maybe you believe, need some Indian clubs or something. I happen to believe uh, what I'm doing. I've devoted my life to this study. Uh, I'm uh, here to try to pass on what I've learned. Well, uh, uh, I will I tell can't you later, Doctor, exactly why. Uh, that you're making, which just aren't... Well, that's all right. I don't agree with uh, the mass taking of LSD. <coughs> what is your name, sir? I'm Mr. Cooper. I'm an Episcopal clergyman connected with the Diocese of Long Island and St. Paul's Church College Point. I have uh, come over here to ask some questions about LSD, raise a couple of problems, because unfortunately for my peace of mind, I ran into an LSD user, and uh, he's a professional entertainer uh, with a wife and child, and I find that the gentleman has lost an interest in his wife and child, and he's uh, went out in the streets of the city preaching about God and after preaching about God in the city he preached about God to the people with whom he worked and became quite violent and uh, uh, arrogant about the matter till they had to fire him and he now has no job at all and is still running around in a quite a happy state and deliberately feeling the joys of God are enlightening his life and what need he of anything else now uh, I'm just a little bit worried about this question of God. I'm quite ready to concede that the uh, human nature possesses the capacity for 
uh, an awareness of reality and, and orders other than those which we call our common everyday experiences. Some people attain an awareness of this order and deep and, and a vivid consciousness of it through a great intense amount of prayer and a, a, an intense amount of uh, fasting, perhaps. Something that is a little unusual readies them for an experience that invades their consciousness. Now, this is all very well, because the people who do this are disciplined human beings. And the outcomes of these visions that they possess, now, not all, people who take this road for enjoyment, for their personal enjoyment, and for their personal pleasure in the experience, have been warned by St. Paul, lest do not eat and drink without proper behavior, lest you eat and drink to your own damnation. And all the mystics up and down warn against a contact with God that can be completely destructive and unbalancing of personality. Now, um, the outcomes of the Judeo-Christian concept of a God have been the modern civilization in which our culture has produced people who have produced more control over the environment and contributed more to human comfort and the power of this earth to support greater numbers of human persons than any other culture that exists. Other cultures have been in contact with God, such as the Buddhist culture, and we find that they, uh, that it's quite an ideal to get away from life, sit with your hands on your stomach and dream delightfully of nirvana and other LSD pa parallel experiences. And uh, we find that they have little concern of what happens. Our boys from Vietnam come in here and tell us that a man is hit by an automobile in uh, Vietnam and nobody does anything to pick him up lest he be responsible for him the rest of his life or interfere with the man's fate. Now, our, our, our uh, divine experiences are tied up to a love of the human, human race and the people in it. And they have worked out a method by which the outcomes of divine experience are practical, efficient, living. In other words, it took this divine experience to form a culture that could make people who could conduct scientific investigations and uh, conduct business and industry. Pardon me, sir, yes, but are you sir. trying to tell me that you don't approve of LSD? I don't approve of it in a big way, because it's a tension reliever that's pleasurable, and when you take tensions away from the human race, you take away the motive which should make them operate and try to solve their problems. If a fellow is going out with a girl, and, and he's, that's my girl, and I proceed to find this very frustrating and take some LSD, I'll bet you any amount of money, he gets the girl and I get the dream. <laughs> you know, I think that's the best analogy I've heard all night. I didn't care too much for Dr. Leary's analogies, but yours I understand thoroughly. No. And uh, Dr. Leary, I'll put it to you this way. Thank you very much, sir. I'll put it to you this way. You take LSD, I'll take the girl. And we'll be back with you in just a moment. <laughs> this is Dr. Timothy Leary, whom I'm sure all of us associate with LSD. What is your name? My name is Bruce L. Simon. All right, sir. Uh, Dr. Leary, I think the, uh, what LSD will do for education in a number of years is very obvious. I think those who uh, hesitate now, well, we've seen people hesitate in the past. 
on the brink of something uh, which is very valuable. Uh, I think we should belay a number of fears in the general public as to how it will be regimentated, who will distribute LSD, and when, and for what use in education it will play. I'd like you to tell the people, I'd like to know myself, how you feel about this. Have you ever taken it? Yes, sir, I have. How many times? 119. 119. How old are you? I am 21. 21? Yes, sir. It's very interesting. When did you find time to do anything else? <laughs> uh, it is not very difficult. I might say that things become a great deal easier while under the uh, influence of LSD. Well, let me ask this of you, Dr. Leary, if I may, and then answer his question, of course. Uh, do you suppose that for a young man of 21, that finding the easy way is the answer? Only if it's the correct way, sir. And you determine that it is correct once under the influence of LSD? Oh, no, sir. I'm uh, told of my actions. I, I am in full consciousness of my actions. And I assure you, those people around me are conscious of what I do. While if I did something wrong, they would let me While know. under the influence of LSD, this is going to be a difficult phrase, uh, while under the influence of LSD, have you ever committed any act, no matter how small or large, that you might be ashamed of if you had never taken LSD? I would uh, never do anything I was ashamed of at any time. I hope you wouldn't either, sir. Well, this is very, very sweet and peaceful and uh, very godlike. But you did not answer my question. My question was this, young man. You have taken LSD 119 times. My question is this. Have you ever, during any one of these trips, 119 of them, committed any act that had you never taken LSD, had your thinking been the same prior to your first trip, you might feel some guilt or shame about. Not to my knowledge, sir. Not to your knowledge. No, sir. Mm -hmm. What I'm trying to establish is that once you take LSD, this justifies everything because you suddenly have this so-called awareness that you didn't have before. No, come no. on. Just, Alan, you're just wasting all of our time. Not These really, are... I'm not wasting it. And hold it, doctor. Just your own hold fantasy. it, doctor. These are just your Hold own it, doctor. These are just your own fantasy. You got it said. Now listen to me and hear me out. Don't ever tell me you want to hiss. Wait till I'm through, please. <laughs> are you presently on a trip? Is that causing you to hiss? <laughs> doctor, I respect you. I respect the fact that you are a PhD. I respect your knowledge. I respect everything about you. But you, at this point, have just done what so many other people who have a crusade going are guilty of. All of a sudden, you wave your own flag in such a fashion as to be completely intolerant of anyone who disagrees with you. That's what you do, and that's what all of your followers do when they hiss. I simply ask this man if he had ever done anything that he would be guilty of. Now, do you want to answer his question? You do remember yeah. asking one? Yes, sir, I do. <laughs> Hello? <laughs> the question had to do with the educational uses of LSD. Um, LSD is going to be used in education in the future. I want to say one thing in response to Alan's uh, comment about something easy. LSD is not easy.
It's the toughest, longest, and hardest uh, road to knowledge around. Everyone that doesn't take LSD avoids LSD because they're afraid, because they know that you're going to get into something that's faster, more powerful, more incomprehensible than anything you've ever known. The use of LSD uh, takes uh, longer than any other instrument. The computer, jet planes, these are simply the uh, toys that man's mind has developed. When you're dealing with LSD, you're opening up instruments which are two billion years old. The human nervous system, the human cellular structure. It takes a long time to learn how to use LSD. It's no shortcut. It's no instant mysticism. It's no instant psychoanalysis. It's tough, hard work. Uh, did you want to say something else? No, I'm listening. Um, LSD will be used in the future in education um, to uh, speed up learning, to intensify memory. It's an uh, enhancer of creativity. Uh, the reason that we are bogged down in our individual lives, or for example in Vietnam, is because we get into these chessboards of symbols where we can't move, it's in a stalemate. When you take a psychedelic drug like LSD, uh, you get a different perspective of it. You can uh, see a different uh, point of view, and you can move out of the stalemate. Uh, um, but LSD is going to uh, do more than that. Uh, before we get to the educational uses of LSD, we have to start with the individual and the family. Uh, there are present in the United States many thousand families that I know of who are using LSD regularly. They use it the way Catholics go to Mass or the way uh, Jews go to the synagogue. They take LSD together, husband and wife, deepening their marital relationship. Parents and children take LSD together. Uh, they really find out what the uh, parent-child relationship is what about. What you're saying is that families that take LSD together stay together. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Let me go on record with you that I have no objections whatsoever to LSD being used in controlled experiments by men of science working with mentally ill because I am aware of what has happened with medical doctors, psychiatrists, in institutions using LSD to try to understand the schizophrenic patient, for example. I have no objections to this any more than I would object to when penicillin was first discovered being used experimentally, because this must be done. This is research. I do have a tremendous inner negative attitude toward LSD being spoken about, being used in the same fashion as one goes to the corner drugstore and orders a soda. Well, I agree with you there. But See, if you can well, tell, how many people have you given LSD to? Well, our group over the last six years has given LSD to over 3,000 people. 3,000 sodas. Are these 3,000 people... No, 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 uh, wait, I, no, 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 come on. All See, right. I want to agree with you. LSD is our sacrament. We don't want to see LSD sold in vending machines or in the drugstore any more than the Catholic priest wants to see the host distributed or my friend from the Episcopalian Church. He doesn't want his sacramental wine uh, in the drugstore. Neither do I. And nothing I've said tonight can possibly imply that I want mass distribution quickly of LSD. Didn't I say a minute ago but that LSD is the longest, most difficult discipline of all? How do Stay you Stay away tell... from it unless you're willing to all take right, LSD in a state of grace for 
serious and important purposes. In a state of grace. That's what you Now, mean. it is uh, purely to be used religiously. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do you explain your apparent self-belief that you are qualified to judge the mental, moral, emotional, spiritual makeup of 3,000 people. What's this? You said that over the past six years you uh, have administered this or sought to it, you and your group, that 3,000 people took LSD. Then I am assuming that you have set yourself up as one qualified and able to judge Yes, These yes, 3,000 yes. people and their ability to take this and have the proper response to it. Yes. Then this makes you not Dr. Larry, but uh, what shall we call you? God? Of your own group, of course. You've taken 3,000 people, Doctor, and you've given them LSD. Do you, one individual, Dr. Timothy Leary, feel qualified to judge these 3,000 people in their ability to accept what they might learn or see on this trip? It is a, a hallucinogenic yes, type you ha- of drug. Yes, you have to compare it? our giving LSD to 3,000 people to other research groups. The facts of the matter are that our research group, which started at Harvard six years ago, involved more trained people, more doctors and professors, who gave more, uh, pub- uh, published more papers. We've given it to more people. We've done more hard work. When we say that we know more about judging and evaluating uh, to whom LSD should be given, I'm not saying I'm God. I'm simply saying that we've done the hard work. The psychiatrists have been going around publishing papers and issuing press releases without having given LSD. Dr. Goddard of the FDA, Dr. Luria, the great spokesman in New York City, has never given one case LSD. It's the whole, uh, we're not God at all. We're simply hard-working, dedicated men, very uh, open to learning uh, what this is all about, and uh, we've made uh, mistakes, but that's how you learn in science. And of these 3,000 people, there isn't one of them that can come before me today and look me in the eye and say that we didn't uh, do our best and that they didn't benefit from the experience. How about the four cases of prolonged psychosis? I include them. One of them called me last night from Washington. He's got a good job with the Peace Corps, and uh, he's doing fine. What is your name? My name is Penelope Paluccia. And uh, Mr. Burke, it seems to me that no one but no one really tells what really takes place on the LSD. Have you um, ever taken it? I, I did, yes. Tell us what happened to you. You see, um, I first heard about LSD that it was a religious experience and a consciousness expansion. And I bought uh, the book by Mr. Riley, Psychedelic Experience, and it uh, impressed me very much. So myself and my friends decided to obtain LSD and take it. Did you have any difficulty in obtaining it? Uh, Well, a little, not too much. Not too much? No. (laughs) Well, um, the thing is this, as I said, no one really tells the truth. There are three things that takes place on the LSD. Only three and no more. First is um, hallucinations. Like, uh, to me, it was the devil was standing beside me laughing at me. What Somebody, did he look like? He looked like a real devil. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but he, he what looked, does a real devil look like? Well, uh, he had the face of the man who sold me the LSD. Oh, he had the face of the pusher. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Right now we've got that established. He had the face of the pusher. What else did he look like? Well, and he had horns and he had horns. Like a devil. Did he have a long forked tail? I didn't see that. Oh. <laughs> Better luck next time. 
So uh, that, that's one thing that right. takes place under LSD. The second thing that takes place is uh, the col uh, kaleidoscope that you see. It is in, in space, and it, it comes um, at you, and it, it's horrifying. It's just plain horrifying. The whole thing of the whole experience of LSD is horrifying. It's the most horrible thing that can happen to a human being. It is, uh, I call it the devil drug and the hell drug. That's what I call LSD. The devil that's drug. True. That's you true. Dr. Lehring? And the, the devil drug. The, the third thing that happens, the third, the third and last thing that happens under LSD is that the ego dissolves. One feels that the ego is gone. Now, these are the three things that happen on the LSD. Now, I want Dr. Reedy to tell me this. Where is religious experience and consciousness expansion? Is it in the hallucination? Is it in the, in the eco disappearance? Or is it in, in the kaleidoscope show? What is the uh, uh, consciousness expansion? What is the religious experience? Because that is the reason I took it. Now, I didn't get any religious experience. I didn't get any consciousness expansion. I only had such a, a terrible day. I landed at Bellevue Hospital. <laughs> So where, where is it? Can you tell me where is the religious experience, please? Because I took this LSD because I was influenced by what you said about it. Now, there is, I'm not finished. You say that on the LSD, um, on the LSD one is above the game, play, game playing. Now, I want to ask you this. How can one play game, the game of life? Uh, uh, under such abnormal condition, one is in such abnormal condition, in such a horrible state. How can one play the game of life after the LSD goes? Well, I'm very sorry that you didn't have a religious experience. Uh, the kind of experience you have when you take LSD depends upon your state of mind, what you're looking for, and apparently you were looking for a religious experience. It also depends upon the circumstances, the environment, uh, who's there, what you surround yourself with. Uh, in the old days, uh, going to Chart Cathedral was designed to give you a deep religious experience. Uh, it was a turn-on thing to do. Uh, Many people would come to Chart hoping that Chart Cathedral would give them this experience. Some didn't. Uh, there's no guarantee in LSD that any one thing will happen. Uh, there's no guarantee that you'll uh, have a religious or you'll have a educational or you'll have an ecstatic or a hellish experience. It's highly uh, variable. Uh, like any other complicated form of energy, it takes discipline, practice. Uh, if you were to tell me after taking LSD 50 or 100 times that you've never had a religious experience, I would just be staggered. But uh, your first experience at anything in life uh, is no guarantee of success. Are you telling her to try it again? I'm not telling anyone to do anything. Mr. Reilly, I say this, that when one takes LSD, it is not a question of what you bring to it, this LSD is your master. It gives you hallucination. It, it dissolves your ego. It gives you that kaleidoscopic show. And it's your master. You can do nothing. Your senses are, are, are uh, abnormal. You can't see right. You, you, um, everything about you is abnormal. And it isn't what you bring to it because this is your master. It masters you. It is not a question of what you bring to it. It is not. It's not so. It's not so, and I say that a hundred times, and anybody... Well, see, I, I must disagree with you because 
There are thousands and thousands of people who have taken LSD, and they all bring back a different report. The people who have not taken LSD, like Alan here, he's convinced he knows what it is. Everyone is convinced they know what LSD is. I've been in the situation of having over 3,000 people take LSD and then come to me the next day and say, well, this is exactly what it's like. And each one of the 3,000 stories is different. I said at the beginning of this program that every time you take LSD, it's different. Every minute of an LSD experience is different. Uh, and anyone who says that LSD is this or that, good or bad, hallucination or not, don't believe it. But that is LSD not possible. Is a wide I just want to say things. one thing. That is not possible. It cannot be. For the simple reason that I said in the beginning, that three things happen on the LSD to everyone. And nothing else happens. These three things. How many people took it with you? I took it alone, but after I took it, my friends said they'll never take it. They were going to take it because they wanted to have also a religious experience. But after what I told them, after they saw what happened to me, they will never take it. In Time magazine two weeks ago, there was a report by Dr. Walter Pankey from Harvard Medical School, who, uh, with our research group, uh, three years ago on Good Friday, we gave LSD to ten divinity students from Andover Newton Seminary, and all ten of them had the deepest religious experience of their life. But these men, young men, were preparing for it. They were devoting their lives to the religious experience. We gave it in the Boston University Chapel, and Dean Howard Thurman came down and preached a sermon during well, what it. What is it, then, the hallucination? That's an the reason experience? that these young men had a, a, a religious experience is because they were in what I would call a state of grace and preparation, and the circumstances or the surroundings were such that it would generate uh, this sort of a situation. If you take LSD uh, in, in the Bronx Zoo, you'll have an animal experience. If you take it in a mental hospital, you'll have a psychotic experience. So there you are. I wish that everybody who intends to take LSD would listen to me and not take it ever. It's a hell drug. I hope they listen to you, too. And furthermore, young lady... I think that you probably did have a religious experience in this fashion. You found this to be, and I will vote on your side, such a hellish experience that you possibly learned from the negative aspects of this that if you want a religious experience, find it within yourself, within your own prayers, and not by taking LSD. We'll be back in just a moment. I have here an ad that appeared in a paper. It says, uh, in person, Dr. Timothy Leary, a series of three psychedelic celebrations, reenactments of the world's great religious myths using psychedelic methods, sensory meditation, symbol overload, media mix, molecular and cellular phrasing, pantomime, dance, sound light, lecture, sermon, gospel. That's quite a lot. I don't understand it, but it's quite a lot. It says, sponsored by the League for Spiritual Discovery. Now, the League for Spiritual Discovery, the initials LSD, is a new religion that you have founded. Is that correct? Yes, Alan. We have founded a new religion. What uh, have you done with the old religion? <laughs> what have I done with the old yes, religion? Yes. I mean, you, were you a member of a specific faith uh, prior to this? Were you... Catholic, Presbyterian, Methodist? Yes. What? May I ask, Doctor, what were you? Yes, I was born and raised a Catholic. I see. Are you still a Catholic? Yes. You are still a Catholic? Yes. You do not find that this conflicts with the practice of Catholicism? Not at all. The, uh, we have founded a new religion 
the, the thing that's new about our religion is that psychedelic drugs like marijuana and LSD are used uh, as our sacraments. They're our way of finding God. They work for us. Marijuana and LSD taken by a serious-minded person who knows what he's doing in, the, uh, in his own shrine where he's prepared to do it will bring about a religious experience. Now, I don't care if it doesn't do it for you or anyone else. LSD gives me my religious experience. It puts me close to God. If you don't like that, don't do it. But you cannot prevent me Certainly from having my not. sacrament in my own home You're with my own right. family. And that's all we ask. You're we don't want to right. convert you. Uh, we don't want to proselytize. But you've got to let us practice our pursuit of God. And one thing that is very interesting, have we learned nothing from history? Every generation, every historical era, there's a small group of people have a new way of finding, a new ritual, a new method for finding God. And immediately the establishment, the Orthodox churches, society, come down in their heads. Haven't we learned anything in the last 4,000 years? No, I'm with you. Uh, if you want to take yeah. this stuff, you go right ahead and take it. By all means, take it. And if you want to have hallucinations and see whatever it is you see, you have them. If I want to do it by getting one martini too many, that's my privilege, and I compare them. I think getting loaded and LSD is about the same. I mean, you can... We what about people that get hooked on this? And don't tell me people don't get hooked. If people don't get hooked, why would that 21-year-old boy tell me he had taken it 119 times? You're certainly past 21, Dr. Leary. You've taken it 311. How many martinis you have? How many martinis? Who said that? Where are you? Hold up your hand. Did you bring any with you? Would you like to have one with me later? There, you couldn't be that have, lucky. We have enough problems. Go ahead, uh, Dr. Larry. Uh, you're, you're hooked. Aren't you hooked? There's never... There's one thing that the medical profession and the psychiatric profession agrees on. LSD is not addictive. Now, it wait is, a minute. Uh, alcohol is addictive. Nicotine, our two most popular uh, conscious contracting drugs, are addictive and they're toxic. The it LSD may not be physically, not physically addictive, addictive yeah. Dr. Larry. Physically addictive. Okay, it but is people not. like to do it over and over yeah. again. Yeah. Yeah, yes, over and I, over, I and it's LSD. like kisses, you know. I, I use LSD the way the Catholic goes to Mass, or the way someone reads the Bible. Is the Bible addictive? Do you go once a week on a trip? When I'm allowed to, I do, yes. Do you use this on Sunday? Uh, I've never stuck to a particular day, but I have tried as my yoga, as my discipline for finding the God within me. When I could do it legally, uh, I would take LSD once a day and devote 24 hours to nothing but the pursuit of what's inside. That happens to be my sacramental method. I don't urge it on anyone else, but uh, I want to say one other thing. The use of chemicals, plants, uh, like mushrooms, like LSD, is much older than any other religious method. For thousands of years, holy men and religious people in Greece, in e Egypt, in India, and in Mexico have used psychedelic plants uh, to find God. It's not older than alcohol. Yes, I think it is. No, I don't think it is, because if I recall the Old Testament, Noah was a keeper of the vineyards. And Noah got stoned one day, and his three sons, Ham, Sham, and Yopheth, walked in upon their dear drunken father who had passed out naked. And so, as not to see their nakedness, they came in backwards and covered Noah. And uh, I dare say that 
You can't go back with a mushroom any further than I can go back with Noah. Okay, I... Did I you have something you wanted to say? There is one analogy, though, to alcohol. Uh, our situation legally in the United States today is very similar to that of the uh, Catholic Church, the Jewish religion, during alcohol prohibition. You remember that lunacy uh, about 30 years ago? Uh, the uh, Catholic priest could import a forbidden and illegal drug, namely wine, to be used only in prescribed places for sacramental purposes. And our religious group is applying to the government at this time for the same privilege, to import and to distribute under highly specified and controlled purposes psychedelic uh, drugs like marijuana LSD to be used only by the uh, officials in our religion for our uh, initiates. So it's a case then, if uh, I wanted LSD, all I would have to do, assuming that this ruling was passed in your favor, would simply be to proclaim that I am a follower of the League of Spiritual Discovery, and that would be made accessible to me. No, you, uh, we are in no uh, way interested in having a mass religion at this time. We have a very small number of people, about 420. Uh, these people are very well known to us. They've been initiated. We know that they can use these sacraments uh, in a spiritual way. Now, if other groups want to do this throughout the United States, they're going to have to get a lawyer. They're going to have to demonstrate to the courts, as we are, that they are adult and serious uh, people who are using these chemicals for uh, sacred purposes, and then uh, uh, they'll be allowed to do it. But we're not trying to have any mass uh, yes. uh, conversion. What is your name? My name is Larry Kessler. I'd like to make a few comments. Uh, as far as the uh, using of LSD for everybody, it seems uh, obvious that not everybody is going to take to LSD like uh, this lady that was just here and other people. Uh, they see things that they don't like about themselves more than likely. Uh, have you taken it? Uh, that's Yes, but that's, you know, irrelevant to the fact. Mm -hmm. uh, still, uh, uh, if you can use the ideas and not necessarily the drug itself, it seems to me that some of the ideas that are, uh, that is coming from people that use LSD uh, are very worthwhile ideas. Such as? Uh, such as uh, no more war and uh, uh, no more race problems and, you know, things that are troubling our world now. I hope this doesn't come as a great shock uh, to you, young man, but yes. people have been opposed to war then, for <laughs> millions of years before LSD was ever discovered. Well, maybe this is an answer, Mr. Burke. You mean give LSD to the no. enemy? <laughs> that would be a good idea. That's a thought and a very good if one. You think, if you think of certain people as your enemy, well, that's perfectly, you know... Legitimate. Well, I assume that. that if I'm a soldier and I'm fighting I'm not talking in Vietnam, about soldiers. I'm not talking about and if soldiers. I could get the North I'm not Vietnamese there. to take LSD, the war would soon be over. I'm not talking about soldiers. Right? We would win the war and they'd win the world. Right. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> we would win the war and they would win the world. You really believe this, don't you? No. You really do. I can the look into your eyes and see The spirit conquers over that. power. The spirit will conquer over power. It always has. And we're not worried about that at all. We don't have any guns. We don't have any money. But we're going to take your country over by raising your spiritual level. And, our and you're going to do it, it with LSD. Years, and we're going to do it again in the next Dr. Day. Larry, I'm all for everybody's spirit being lifted. But uh, I don't honestly, and I hope this doesn't offend you, consider you a threat to those of us who think that we can control our own spirit. Yes, please go on. Sorry I interrupted you. That's okay. Do you think that uh, uh, that the President of the United States, if he uh, 
if he had some ideas that that uh, were spiritually, uh, not necessarily the president, but uh, or anybody that has anything to do with government, if he had ideas of more spiritual feeling, that he would be more into where the people are, not necessarily where in, into his own ego himself. Wouldn't you think it'd be a good idea if politicians lost some of their ego? Well, which one do you want to discuss first, the president uh, or the politicians? No, no, politicians. Oh, you want to talk about ego. politicians yes. and their ego? Yes. Uh, I don't know that it would help because, you see, we elect these politicians. They because suddenly don't acquire an ego after they are elected. We uh, elect these officials, and if we don't like them, then we, we shouldn't We elect officials on their promises. Pardon? We elect officials on their promises, not on their deeds. Well, don't vote for them, then. Well, who else can you vote for? Let me ask a question of you, young man. Yes. Now, when you find a politician who isn't fulfilling all of his promises, what do you do about it? Nothing. Nothing? Right. There is your answer. Well, <laughs> you know. I think you can what, sit down What can now. you do? Because you do nothing, and that's what everybody well, does. Well, I'm personally doing something, but that has nothing to do with this show. Well, if everybody personally does yes, something I, I, about I'm it. I'm personally doing something about it. Wonderful for you. Uh, what are you doing? I am uh, I am in communications, and I plan on uh, broadcasting several messages through the use of records and through uh, the use of, uh, of the particular means that I have of getting across certain points that should be gotten across and certain things and certain feelings that should be gotten across that haven't been brought up to now, such as complete and utter freedom. Well, right or wrong, whether I agree with you or not is of no concern at the moment. At right. least you are doing something. Yes, I am. And I, I feel that uh, more of the people that are into this type of thing should, should get into government and should uh, sort of... I think everybody should get into right. it. Right, right. And I, I think, think we... everybody, not simply because you're in, in some form uh, in communications, but everybody should. I heard someone in the audience say, what can we do about it? Well, you can do something about it. You have a telephone. You know how to write. There is a telegraph available. Lady, are your false teeth bothering you? <laughs> I hear you hissing. There are things everyone can do, but you must do it and stop waiting for the guy next door to do it. Yes, uh, uh, All right. my group has every uh, All right. intention Thank of doing Thank you so that. much. Do you have something to say, young lady? Would you step forward? Dr. Leary, I Excuse sat... me, what is your name? Uh, Mrs. Jane Marin. All right. I sat recently for an evening with the young fellow who listed for me a number of drugs, goofballs. I, I can't even remember the names of some of these things. He told me about them, and he told me about the use of them, and I sat and looked at this really lovely-looking young fellow, and I thought about uh, conversations I've had with friends of mine, parents, middle-class parents of uh, young people who are in their late teens and early 20s and most concerned about the fact that our children tell us. Uh, if I can try LSD, I will. Uh, I'm going to smoke pot. It's not addictive, and if I can have the experience, why not? I've thought a great deal about it, and I feel that um, this is a behavioral thing among middle-class children of that age, and I really feel that the cause lies somewhere else than uh, in an, a religious experience. Um, and I would like to ask you, if you feel 
that our young people are searching desperately for something which they may not find in all these drugs. Yes, I certainly agree that uh, young people today, many of them, are searching for something. They, they, our society, our social system just isn't satisfying a hunger here. Any uh, child that's been grown up in the atomic age in the last uh, 20, 25 years uh, has been uh, living and uh, learning about a society which I said is insane. Uh, at any moment, uh, the whole thing may be over. It's an unsettling and a difficult uh, generation. And you feel the answer lies in goofballs, and I can't well, remember no, my dear, the no, names uh, of You see, goofballs and alcohol are narcotics. I th I, I'm, I'm shocked that young people use alcohol or use goofballs or use heroin or use uh, pep pills. These are addictive, dangerous drugs. But marijuana and LSD is an entirely different story. These are conscience-expanding drugs, and you must not equate them. And, and I have said over and over again to parents who are concerned about their teenage kids or their high school kids who are taking marijuana or using LSD, instead of trying to uh, denounce your children or to send them to psychiatrists or to get a policeman to arrest your own children, why don't you sit down with, with your uh, children and ask them, what they know about it. You'll find that most teenagers don't know very much about marijuana and LSD, that their motives are perhaps confused. Why don't you and your teenage or your college kids then do a study, read all the books, read the scientific articles, talk to people who've had the experience, and then after three or four months of study together, you and your kids, you may decide, well, this isn't worth it, or you may decide, let's try it, and then I urge the middle class, middle-aged parents, take marijuana or take LSD with your children and find out what it's all about. I have uh, tried to understand these kids. Uh, my uh, personal experience is, of course, limited. I feel, however, that it is possible that these are children who are both deprived and overindulged. This seems to me to be a pattern among these children, at least those of my friends and friends of friends. Uh, they seem to be children whose parents have been too busy uh, acquiring things, possessions, to pay enough attention to their children. Uh, in other words, uh, go, kid. Uh, do anything as long as you don't bother me because I'm busy having a good time. I'm playing. So that I feel that these are children of families uh, which are not close-knit families, in which the parents are not mature. What you're saying, young lady, is that you're blaming this search upon the parents? Yes. Well, there, I think, and I think you should agree, don't you, that a great deal of the searching among the young people today is based upon the fact that the parents themselves do not have enough time to uh, have a family relationship with their children. There's also one other factor. Uh, when they go to college, they're likely to find out that the graduate student instructor and the young professors are themselves taking LSD and marijuana. I would say in the English department, the philosophy department, the art department, the religious department of all of your New York schools, between a third and two-thirds of the young instructors are using LSD and marijuana well, I for serious purposes. I would like to... Which explains uh, nothing. Thank you, me. young lady. Uh, based upon what Dr. Leary has just said about two-thirds of the young instructors, etc., in all of the colleges in this area. I would like to hear from you, and I'll take a vote by mail and see if two-thirds of you are taking it. It would be very interesting to see, because I don't believe it. I just don't believe that figure. 
Dr. Leary, you're obviously an extremely bright man. Uh, there are many cases of expanded consciousness that have taken place from the beginning of man without the use of drugs. I think that we would all be sorely misled if we bought your theories concerning the use of LSD as being completely right and accurate. If you, Timothy Leary, wish to take LSD, that's fine with me. You can drink to excess if you are so inclined, or indulge yourself in any other exercise that you wish to. Because you are the only one involved with perhaps the exception of those who are very close to you. You know that the title of Ph.D. Uh, that you have, the notoriety, if you will permit me this word, that surrounded you upon your leaving Harvard, uh, your appearance, the peyote bird that I believe you told me was given to you by a Mexican Indian... An, Amer an American Indian an American. head of the uh, religious group. Yes. There are a quarter of a million American Indians, you know, who use peyote as their religious yes. sacrament. Well, your appearance, and I must add further, you have a, a very soulful look, uh, one that would be, I think, appealing to young people who are searching too, and I think I would like to say also searching. I think that this attracts disciples who are searching... I think it uh, titillates a great number of people who are not searching, but let's put them in the category of the thrill seeker. But I think, too, Dr. Leary, you're doing a tremendous disservice to all of us. You bring forth, in effect, a new religion, which you say is, is nothing that contradicts other religions. I call your new religion a red herring. We live in a very free country... And in this free country, the word religion is synonymous with protection. You yourself pointed that out. I hope that I will continue to be able to practice my religion. And I upheld that for you. I certainly hope so, too. But this is why I called it a red herring, because religion is protection here. There have been many, many, many cases of self-appointed religionists, evangelists, who have hypnotized and have fooled their so-called congregations. And let it be known here and now that LSD and any other psychedelic drug, as far as I am concerned, is unhealthy, it's dangerous, and its use should be restricted to scientific experiments controlled by men who are chemically familiar with the drugs or what have you. Thank you so much. You're listening to the Psychedelic Salon, where people are changing their lives one thought at a time. I have to admit that I really got a good laugh from Mr. Cooper, that Long Island minister whose main complaint about LSD, it seemed, was that people got personal pleasure and enjoyment from using it. I can only imagine what a bunch of screwed-up sad sacks his parishioners were. I just hope that uh, sick-minded preachers like him are on the wane because uh, they can certainly do a lot of damage to a young mind before a person is independent enough to uh, think for themselves. Today, these uh, religious fascists are much more slick in their presentations, but in my humble opinion, they are no different from the small-minded Mr. Cooper. And then there was that uh, woman who asked if perhaps young people were searching for something. Well, duh, of course they were. And they still are. 
That's what we do when we're young, and if we're lucky, we're still doing it in our old age. Living here in California, I seldom come into contact with people with such provincial minds, but from what some of our fellow saloners tell me, that kind of boxed-in thinking uh, still prevails in much of the U.S. As my dear departed mother once said, everything's changed, but nothing's different. Hopefully, uh, that's what we're doing here in the psychedelic salon, trying to build a different civilization. You know, it struck me uh, a few days ago how far consciousness, uh, particularly psychedelic consciousness, has come in the past 40 years or so. In the three podcasts before today's, we heard Dr. Leary in 1965, Terrence McKenna in 1995, and Eric Davis in 2007. From the email and comments I've received, many of our fellow saloners uh, rate Eric as their favorite psychedelic commentator, and I have no quarrel with that. What I'd like to point out, however, is that uh, each one of these thinkers was able to build on those who came before them. For Tim Leary, it was Aldous Huxley. For Terence, it was Leary, Ramdas, and dozens of other elders who preceded him. And Eric can now draw upon them all, as can you. And as Dervish Mad Whirler said last week, now it's up to us to carry the torch onward. Right now, uh, I know there are a lot of our fellow saloners who are still in school and are still not clear about what path to follow as a career. And I know that many of you would like to somehow be involved in professional psychedelic research. So the next time we get together, I'm going to play another one of the plyologues that we held at uh, last year's Burning Man Festival. And uh, that may at least prove to you that if your will to do so is strong enough, the, the way can open up for you. At least that's how it worked out for uh, Alicia Danforth, who in just a few short years has progressed from being a part-time unpaid volunteer to the point where she now gives talks at workshops and seminars from California to Switzerland. And uh, Alicia will be speaking about building a model for sustainable psychedelic therapy. The reason I'm mentioning this right now is to uh, further make my point about how far we have actually come since that dark night in 1966 when Dr. Leary took so much heat from people for promoting psychedelic research. We may not have come very far by some measures, uh, but as the wonderful Chinese say, a journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. And uh, now may be the right time for you to be thinking about your next step on this psychedelic journey. Which brings me to something I've been thinking about for quite a while now, but to be honest, I, I still don't know how to put it into words. So this will only be a poor attempt to uh, verbalize a few of my thoughts about what I'm trying to do with these podcasts. As you know, uh, almost all of the guest speakers we've heard here in the salon mention the phrase consciousness expansion, and that's great. Expanding my level of awareness about existence is something that uh, goes to the core of my being. And yet, uh, when you spend a little time thinking about it, what's the purpose of expanding our consciousness if we don't want to come back and do something about it? And of course, uh, without exception, our speakers make that point as well. Now, I want to be very careful here to make sure that no one thinks that something I want to do is to create a large community around the psychedelic salon. The truth is, I'm not much of a group person. In fact, uh, being alone is something I cherish highly. So I don't want this to become some kind of big psychedelic club or something. 
my objective, my ultimate objective, I guess, uh, can actually be summed up in the phrase that Timothy Leary made famous in the 60s, and that is, think for yourself and question authority. You see, it is you, a living, breathing, thinking individual, that I'm hoping will find an idea or two here, and you can take that with you into your everyday life. Because you, and you alone, will ultimately determine your fate, your destiny. Now, I don't mean for a moment to diminish the adverse circumstances some of our fellow saloners may find themselves in right now. And I realize that some of our fellow saloners are in very dire situations. I know that there are a lot of downloads of these podcasts from uh, various places in the Middle East, China, uh, even parts of Africa. And there are also a fair number of downloads to the .mil networks. And having been in the military myself, I know how lonely it can be when you're a psychedelic thinker, but you're surrounded by a group of poorly educated people who have some rather bad habits when it comes to the way they think. But the majority of our fellow saloners uh, seem to live in densely populated urban areas in the West. And while living in a suburb of Berlin or Chicago sure beats living in Baghdad right now, it can also be a living hell if you're surrounded by people who don't understand where you're coming from. Last night, uh, my wife and I watched a film that has made a deep impact on me. It's titled Freedom Riders. That's W-R-I-T-E-R-S, Freedom Writers, not Writers. And it's about a group of young adults at a high school in Long Beach, California in the 1990s, uh, during a time when that school was being forcibly integrated by busing. At the time, uh, the students self-segregated into ethnic groups consisting primarily of Asians, Latinos, Blacks, and Caucasians. And at first, uh, they were in a perpetual state of war with one another. This was just after the L.A. riots that were sparked by the Rodney King verdict. And in the year after those riots, uh, there were over a hundred murders, senseless gang murders of young people in that town. Now, these poor kids literally lived under the fear of being killed every time they stepped out of their doors. And I don't think that the movie's portrayal was overblown because uh, I lived in that area, about three blocks from that school, actually, for uh, a year and a half when my wife was Dr. Grobe's research assistant on his psilocybin research study. We lived on the edge of one of the Caucasian areas and so didn't really experience any violence directly, but we seldom ventured out of doors after dark. I can't remember a weekend when we didn't hear gunfire during the night and uh, the police helicopters with their spotlights uh, quite often lit up the alley behind our apartment building when they were in hot pursuit of somebody. And this was over a decade after the time period of the movie. Uh, things are much better in Long Beach right now, but it still has a reputation as one of the toughest places in Los Angeles County. So it wasn't too hard for me to relate to the plight of these kids. I won't go into a great detail about this film because I, I hope you'll see it for yourself. But it's uh, basically about an idealistic young woman who begins her teaching career when parts of that school were little more than a battleground for at-risk children. There's absolutely no way I would have lasted a week under the conditions this wonderful woman encountered. But she not only persevered, she, uh, well, I think she worked a miracle by giving her students a, a better way to see themselves and a much better way to relate to the world. 
If I didn't know that this movie was based on a true story, I, I wouldn't be telling you about it because it's almost beyond belief what those kids were able to overcome. And uh, it has given me more hope in human nature than I've had for years. Which finally brings me to my point. While I don't hold the belief that everyone, or even most people for that matter, should use our sacred medicines to enhance and guide their spiritual lives, I do believe that those of us who choose this path, whether it's by actually using the medicines or simply by being a psychedelic thinker who builds on the foundations left by our elders, I do believe that once you see the light, if you have the courage to do so, you can make as big a difference in your little corner of the world as this marvelous teacher did. As my friend Black Beauty said just after Dr. Leary's talk just now, the psychedelic salon is a place where people are changing their lives one thought at a time. I don't have any of the answers about life myself, uh, nor for the most part do our guest speakers. All we are attempting to do here is to pass along a few ideas that we've had during the course of our own personal adventures on this planet in the hopes that you can grab a hold of a few of them and build upon them in your own very unique way, in a way that you and only you can do. Each of us have not only unique talents, we also have, each and every one of us, a unique way of seeing this world. And it's my hope that you'll always see it through the ultimate lens, the one that Terence McKenna saw on his deathbed when he said, it's all about love. Well, I guess that's enough preaching for today. Now, uh, how about some news that's come in from the net? Frequently, I receive MySpace messages and requests to link up. However, uh, I'm afraid that I can no longer even get logged into our MySpace page. As you know, uh, MySpace deleted our page without any notice and won't reply as to why they blacklisted me. And so I'm simply done with them. So if you try to contact me that way, I'm afraid that I won't even be able to read your messages anymore. But there still is the PsychedelicSalon.org blog where you can post your questions in a comments section or post something on the forum over at thegrillreport.com or you can try to squeak an email through all of my spam filters by sending a message to Lorenzo at MatrixMasters.com. And there's also our Planque Norte group at Tribe.net although I only get out there about once a month or so, uh, so there are a number of ways to communicate with me and our fellow saloners. I'm sorry about the MySpace connection, but uh, I'm afraid that one is just out of my control. Another message that uh, reached me comes from fellow saloner Ned, who said, I wanted to let you know I used a soundbite from your Alex Gray interview on love, art, and family. I do a podcast on creativity called Ned PR. You can check it out through iTunes or at www.nedpr.org. I told all of my listeners to go to your website slash podcast to check out more of what you have available. I would love it if you wouldn't mind checking out my podcast and sending some of your listeners my direction. Well, first of all, uh, thanks for letting me know about the Alex Gray soundbite, Ned. As you know, the Creative Commons copyright license I use for these podcasts doesn't require that you let me know about using parts of the podcast, but uh, I really appreciate knowing when somebody does, uh, just because it makes me feel good. I took a quick look uh, at the listing of Ned's podcasts, and he already has over a dozen episodes posted, and so it looks like he's going to keep going. That's my little plug here. But I haven't had a chance to listen to it myself yet, simply uh, because of my lack of time to do so. 
I'm already several episodes behind listening to Psychonautica and The Dope Fiend at dopecast.co.uk, but I have been able to keep up with Lefty's Lounge and BB's Bungalow, uh, both of which give me a big energy boost when I hear them. The other program I try to stay current with is KMO's Sea Realm Podcasts, which you can find at c-realmpodcast.podomatic.com, and there's a link to that on our uh, Psychedelic Salon blog. He, uh, he now has published about 80 podcasts, and they're all worth your time to listen to. But if you're just getting started with the Sea Realm, I'd suggest picking up with program numbers 76 and 77, which have to do with our food supply. Hopefully a lot of people will listen to those programs and then begin to take action based on them. And for you Eric Davis fans, uh, KMO is trying to line up an interview with Eric to build on what he had to say in his plyologue, which we podcast here in the salon last week. The Sea Realm is one of my favorite podcasts, and I hope you'll give it a listen. I'm sure you won't be disappointed. Now, uh, I am happy to report that several saloners have let me know that they are starting small salons themselves, where they get together with a few friends and discuss topics of mutual interest, frequently focusing on psychedelic medicines. If you've been listening to these podcasts for a while now, uh, you'll remember several talks that I recorded at the now defunct but very important salon that Kathleen ran in Venice Beach for over seven years. One of the things that gave her salon such longevity, I believe, is that from the very beginning she strictly followed the guidelines set out by Anne and Sasha Shulgin when they were also conducting a monthly gathering. These rules are uh, really very simple, but in my humble opinion, without them, you won't be able to pull off anything of lasting value. And here they are. Number one, never, as in never, allow any talk before, during, or after the gathering of how or where to find psychedelic medicines. Even though we don't agree with the current prohibition on using these important substances, We have to keep in mind that they remain illegal and carry very stiff penalties for buying, selling, or possessing them. So, in the interest of all of us in this community, I I urge you to always stick to that rule. These salons are about free speech, but uh, speech about what happens to our consciousness, not about sources and supply. And the only other rule uh, obviously flows from that, and that is never be under the influence of or use these substances when you're together in a salon format. If you follow those two simple rules, I think you'll find that your salon will grow into a very fulfilling project. One last thing I want to mention before I go today is that uh, sometimes when fellow saloners post a comment on our blog, they're uh, held for moderation. Now, I want to assure you that I'm not editing your content in any way. What that's all about is that I've set the comments to go to moderation whenever there are two or more links in the post. And the reason for this is to keep the spammers away. So far, uh, mainly through the wonderful work of the Akismet plugin, over 14,000 spam messages have been blocked. Now, I'm sorry for the delay sometimes in getting your messages posted, but uh, as you can see, spam would make the blog comments almost worthless if I didn't do that. Well, I guess that's it for today, and as always, I want to close by saying that this and all of the podcasts from the Psychedelic Salon are protected under the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 license. And if you have any questions about that, just click the Creative Commons link at the bottom of the Psychedelic Salon webpage, which you can find at www.psychedelicsalon.org. 
And that's also where you'll find the program notes for these podcasts. And for now, this is Lorenzo signing off from Cyberdelic Space. Be well, my friends. 